if you're being mistreated badly, that person needs to be called out. That person needs to go down. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. Okay, let's get started. All right. Welcome. Welcome to you, Rob. And welcome to everyone who's just joining us here on how to land a job you love. Are you overcoming the emotional crush of a job loss? The anxiety of getting ghosted? Experiencing the challenges of ageism? Well, Rob Burnett, former president of programming at CBS Radio, a digital pioneer, longtime MTV VH1 exec, and founder of My Damn Channel, is here to help you master the arts of networking, social media, and virtual interviews. Rob recently reinvented himself as a headhunter and reinvented headhunting in the process. He's on a mission to prove life's too short to do what you hate with his best-selling book, ebook, and audiobook, Next Job, Best Job. Think of it as your new Bible. As Angela Bowers, VP Global Instructor Talent Development at Peloton says, if you're looking for your next rock star opportunity, Rob Barnett is your man. Rob Barnett, welcome to the fishbowl. I am very happy to be here. I like the intro, but the, the new Bible makes me run for the hills. <laughs> Who, whoever said that, we're deleting that review on Amazon for fear of being ghosted by the 150 people that signed up tonight. <laughs> I'm psyched to be here. So thank you. And, and we're, we're really happy so many people signed up and extra happy to let you moderate like a madman, Dave. You know, Rob, uh, you were talking about ghosting, and, and I actually look at you as a ghostbuster when it comes to getting the job you love. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that, how you do that, and how that came about? Well, I mean, look, it was part of the reason that I found this new path in the first place. You know, I don't know exactly when this moment happened in our business life, but the idea of ghosting started to become the norm and not rare. And that's just so incredibly offensive. I mean, look, I get it. I get it on dating sites. I get it if somebody is starting to stalk you and get really creepy. I get it if somebody that you don't know is sending the world's longest first email. I, <laughs> I, I get that you might not respond to those people. But what started to really drive me crazy about three years ago is that the perfectly written email that was slaved over with great content, good grammar, <laughs> decent punctuation, and then sometimes sent, not to a stranger, not a cold email, sent to somebody that you know, somebody that you've connected with in business before. The idea that it was somehow now acceptable for that person to not respond is one of the things that first drove me mad and then drove me into the mission to stop chasing my own career and start helping everybody else figure out how to end run, not just the ghosting, but frankly, the HR department and all these internal recruiters. I just felt that if we could concentrate in the search 
at first getting to the companies we really want to be working at and then figuring out how to get to the one person making the decision, then we're playing with better odds. So what advice do you have for, for people who are sending out that perfect resume you know, to the person they know, uh, aside from going directly to you, which of course that eliminates ghosting entirely, but <laughs> in a general sense, uh, what, do you, what advice do you give to people to become their own ghostbuster? Well, the, the first thing I would say if you're really serious about your job search is to just stop the process of cold uploads of the resume to job openings that you happen to find on LinkedIn or other sites. The odds are just really not good enough. You know, the last job that I had before I became headhunter boy was at Audible, and Audible is part of Amazon. So close your eyes for a scary minute and guess how many resumes come in cold to every open job at an Amazon company. The number is just staggering. It's in the thousands. So I really believe that a targeted company search is a thousand times better than rando surfing websites. I just wouldn't do it at all. I'd make the world's most focused list of the place you want to be. And then I would spend the hours and sometimes days needed to figure out how to take the old game, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, and turn that into the one degree. Figure out how to work your network, how to build your network, how to go after everybody that you know that can get you that one real intro made for you on the inside like an episode of The Sopranos where somebody says, do me a favor, I've got a guy, it's Dave Statman, talk to this guy for 20 minutes. You need somebody to vouch for you if you're really, really going to have a serious shot. All right, I want to ask you two questions before we open it up to the audience. One is, you know, the topic tonight is how to land a job you love. Well, the first thing I think you need to do if you're looking for a job you love or you're pursuing that is define success like how would you define that success for you because i used to think you know what i just i want to be on tv i want to be i want millions of people to be you know tuning into me every week i could be like skippy on family ties or whatever and then i just got really what i wanted was my parents to not to you know uh think that i was a failure you know that i really just wanted like two people's affection so how do you advise people to sort of define success for themselves well, it's a great and deep question, but I do think that it is important before really diving into a job search to take stock of not only what you want, but first, where things have gone wrong in the past. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've all, always been um, guilty of, of playing that bitching and moaning game, especially after being fired about it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. You know, this first book I've written is very simply called Next Job, Best Job. The next book is going to be a lot easier to write. It's going to be about two things, <laughs> the world's worst bosses and those horror stories that we've all got. And then it's going to be the rare second part of that book, the greatest bosses of all time. I think that as you start to really ask yourself, what do you want that's next? At least for the thousands of people 
that I've spoken to on both sides of the hiring table. And I can't wait to hear what this audience thinks. Money is not number one on the list. The, the things that I hear from people that are first or second on that list is who am I going to be working for next? Is this a person I can trust? Is this a person that's going to give me the tools to succeed, the room to succeed, and just maybe not stab me in the back the minute that something goes wrong? I think these are the deep desires that a lot of people have now because there's so much job change and there are so many bad bosses. So the first thing that I think, and I'm just kind of loading these questions because I really want to hear the audience's answer to Dave's question, but, but I think who am I working for is a big one. And then the second one is, uh, am I going to be doing the work, the actual work that I really want to do? Or am I settling for something because I desperately need a job? I think if you've got a raging yes on number one, you're working for a great person, and a raging yes on number two, that you're doing work that really turns you on, then you will perhaps settle for less money than you ideally wanted, knowing that you're in the right place and that there's an opportunity to move up when you're not working for a monster. We're discussing how to land a job you love with headhunter and author Rob Barnett. We're going to open it up to the audience. Pop them up as we go, and and uh, and we'll keep going. Um, we've got a big old room and happy to not only answer any question here as we bring folks up uh, to the stage, but also very easy to reach. Home base for me is robbarnettmedia.com. That's where we do everything we do for people on both sides of the hiring table. And, uh, you know, feel free to explore it there. You can send Dave and I direct messages if you want to ask a question uh, with your typing fingers, you can do that. Uh, but, but we welcome any questions that, that you've got. So, so come on in. All right. Uh, is it Keisha? Go ahead, Keisha. The floor is yours. Can you guys hear me now? Yep. Yes. You're live. Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for this opportunity to speak. Um, I did have a question. What are your thoughts on the current trends of, and this is a weird question, but what are your thoughts on the current trends of um, burning bridges at work in terms of leaving <laughs> a toxic environment or, you know, you're just not happy? What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's more of a trend now to burn a bridge and not care, uh, especially with, you know, millennials or any other generation? Well, I want to make sure I understand the question from whose perspective you're saying burning a bridge as the candidate that's unhappy that's leaving and burning it down or 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 are you are you coming at it from the other way you're talking about being kicked out I, I just want to make sure i understand what you really want to know yeah i guess from the candidate perspective i guess from the from the person who's applying to different jobs and yeah not from the employer but yeah well look you know sadly you're talking to somebody whose career unfortunately had to find a few monsters that I've worked with as my boss. Sometimes I talk about them publicly um, because, as we know, there have been horrible things done in the workplace by bosses that took terrible advantage with arrogance and abuse and all the rest. Time is up for all of that crap, all of it. And there's just, you know, 
after all that we've been through, after all we've survived, if you're working for a bad actor, I don't think there's any money in the world that's going to be able to keep you in that job. So uh, burning a bridge in, in one sense is that if you're being mistreated and mistreated badly, that person needs to be called out. That person needs to go down. And, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in my life. I'm not looking for any friends that are mistreating people on the workplace. And those people need to be ended. So if the fear is, uh-oh, it's going to be a black mark against me if I go after this person. Uh, you know, you, you got to, if you're in a dangerous situation, burn that shit down, burn it down. But if, it, if it's earlier in the relationship and you're starting to see things go badly, then I want to talk about this from another point of view and then we'll, we'll let another uh, bunch of people come up and ask questions. If, if you're smelling something bad, if you're feeling that the relationship with the people that you're working for isn't straight up, if there isn't enough communication, if you haven't had a review in way too long, then there's two things you can do about that. One is quietly stir and feel upset and realize that you're working for somebody who's not giving you the time of day. But the second thing you can do is a lot more brave. You can just put yourself out there. You can ask the people that you're working for to sit you down and give you feedback. If you're not getting it after the first three months or six months or seven months on the job, and you're kind of thinking, well, I guess I'll have to wait a year to know how I'm doing and see if I can get a lousy little 2% raise. I don't think that's the best strategy. I think that it's half on you and half on management to make sure that you have the strongest possible open dialogue with the person that you're working for. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thank you so much for answering. You got it. Thanks for being the first one. <laughs> so, yes, uh, we're, we're giving you a questions. sitting ovation here. Uh, yeah, well, um, I just saw this posted by an ACD on Fishbowl today. Uh, and it says that news outlets report 95% of current employees are thinking of changing jobs. The ad industry had massive layoffs last year, so a lot of people are looking for work. Yet agencies are reportedly having trouble finding talent. Assuming you're offering fair pay, you agency, if you can't poach or find talent in this scenario, your recruiters are incompetent or you're being way too picky. Your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to tell you, I saw that stat too. I don't know if other folks in the audience did. This stat said, as Dave just mentioned, that 95% of the people in this one chunk of research are thinking about bolting for what's next. So in the one hand... In the one hand, on the one hand, which is it, Dave, in or on? On the one hand, but whatever. Uh, on the left hand, you are in a situation where employees are a bit on the driver's seat. But I do think that one of the keys to the title of tonight's chat about how to land the job you love is that candidates do need to line up correctly with the job that you're pursuing. I think what a lot of candidates do is when the action and the response isn't as strong as you like, or as we said in the beginning, if you're getting ghosted, if you're just getting, you know, crickets, and you're not getting enough response, don't make the mistake of starting to apply for jobs where you have some, but not many, and frankly, not most of the skills. Because 
That is why a lot of jobs stay open for too long. People have a mindset of these two words that I think are dangerous. A lot of people say, well, I have, I don't really have all the skills they're looking for for this job, but I know I can do it. I have transferable skills. My mm -hmm. buzzkill moment of the night is to say, uh-uh, that's not a good strategy because companies increasingly want to hire the person that's checking most of the boxes. So I think if, if you're in the audience tonight and you're feeling a lot of frustration, it's possible that one of the reasons is you're applying to things that you know don't really line up as perfectly as they need to. I always give the example when we're working one-on-one -on -one with a lot of clients that even though Dave and I have a friend named Mike who happens to be the president of CBS and is one of the greatest guys ever, he was my boss once, at any given moment, if Mike looks up from that big office at CBS television and the roof is leaking, <laughs> he only needs one thing at that moment. He needs a roofer. So even if Dave and I are his bud and we send five or six or seven of the greatest resumes in the world, he's not going to want to see a little bit of roofing, a little bit of this, a little bit of a third thing. So I think that part of the reason why a lot of jobs are open right now because the candidates are just kind of, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall. But I'd love to hear people come up and fight us on that point. Change our minds. Oh, here, Megan. Is it Megan or Megan? Megan. Can you hear me Megan. now? Yes. Yeah. Welcome. Hi. So I just, on your last point about spaghetti, right, I think we all reinvent ourselves on a regular basis, especially if you've had any sort of tenure across your career. And I would just challenge that if you have the right mindset, if somebody isn't willing to take a chance, that kind of speaks to their own abilities as a manager because they don't have the ability to teach and grow those below them. Well, I, I do think that level plays a big part in this conversation. And if you're at... Uh, the let's call it the early part of your career let's go ahead and say the first seven or eight years i'm picking that number not completely out of the hat if you're in the first seven or eight years on the job it is extremely important to make sure that you find mentors and i'll go as far as to say rabbis at every one of the first companies you're working in to help you hone that experience so you don't fall into that ridiculous scenario that says, well, you need experience to be able to do this job and yet nobody's giving you the experience. So there's a huge part of this puzzle that needs mentors, that needs help. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to you and say that if you're approaching a position that you haven't done before, the odds of getting it are not good. So rather than giving up, what I recommend people do if they're missing it uh, on experience is to realize that it might be the level of that job that's falling out. Meaning, you know, and every company's got different names for different rungs on the ladder. But let's just use the difference between, say, a VP and a director. If you feel like you've got the chops and you know you internally 
are ready to rock a VP job, but you've struck out four or five times, then I think that's the moment where you got to say, you know what, I'm going to go find the senior director role or even the director role and bet on myself for at least the first year or so. Because if in my own mind, I think I can do that job, but I'm being rejected for not enough repetition and relevancy on the resume, then it's possible that you just got to take it down one notch or maybe half a notch to get in where you need to be. All right. I'm going to uh, ask you to reveal a little bit of the, one of the top secrets in your book, The Eleven, uh, and that what is the most important tool to lessen the time you're going to be out of work and win your next job, best job, Rob? Wow. The one, <laughs> the one tool. I'll tell you what's worked the best. I mean, the book's got 11 different strategies in there and it's everything from the perfect interview to how to negotiate the deal, how to create the leverage you need, how to build a targeted company list, how to research whether or not you're going to be working for the right person or the wrong one. But if you, as you just did, you difficult moderator you, if you forced me to tell you the one thing that I think can give you more success than anything else I've done with candidates, especially since COVID, here it comes. We need to throw out the ancient, ridiculous, robotic version of cover letters and replace it with a whole new game. So the typical cover letter that somebody has convinced most of us to write is filled with keywords and buzzwords and data analysts. And it's got, you know, I have X years of experience and a proven track record of success and a demonstrated history of blankety, blankety, blank. I don't know who made this rule, but this is what I think is going on. I think that people say, well, you know, it, the only way I'm going to get a job is if I'm found by algorithms. And then if there's 700 resumes for this job and I just put the right algorithmic words in my cover letter, that's going to somehow move me up to, you know, resume number 27 instead of 700. I just think there's a different way to approach this. Rather than repeating all the greatest hits on your resume and putting that on the cover letter and making the cover letter me, 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 me. The best trick I can tell you is to make the cover letter much more about the specific insights you've got on this company than on beating your own chest and talking about how great you are in the cover letter. I'm not here to say that the cover letter shouldn't champion some of what you've done that makes you most impressive please don't think that, that that i'm saying you know you can't toot your own horn you've got to but i'll give you a specific example of something that just happened two weeks ago on one of the most important searches i've got the search came down to three finalists and then the hiring manager said it was time for the dreaded homework assignment, the writing assignment, 
and I'd love to hear if any of you have been asked to do this. It usually comes late in the process. After you've done a handful of interviews, they give you a problem to solve. You know, well, listen, Rachel, if you were in this job, how would you solve this? What would you do, et cetera, et cetera. The best trick I've done is in cover letters at the very, very beginning of the process, not at the end, address what's going on in that company with real insights into where you think they're hitting it out of the park and here comes a risk. If you're getting ghosted, try some constructive, critical feedback with a few free ideas offered without even being asked. And if you put that in cover letters, the odds of winning that first interview increase dramatically. And I've been seeing it time after time after time because you've now distinguished yourself versus every other robotic cover letter that's just kind of betting on algorithm. All right, Rob, that is a phenomenal answer. It, it actually seems to beat the one in your book, which says that your calendar is the most important tool. <laughs> yeah, well, that one too. That one too. You know, a job search can be one of the loneliest things any of us experience. But after the pandemic, we certainly now all have a master class in loneliness. So I realized that when your calendar gets completely naked at the minute you've lost your job, there's no more meetings on Thursday, Friday, or next Monday. There's a great opportunity to start taking that job search as seriously as if you were the CEO of Dave Statman, Inc., and you start putting in, in the book, it's in Chapter 2. We actually show people in Chapter 2 how to take it hour by hour by hour and make sure that you're prioritizing all the actual work that you have to do to start landing first the interviews and second the jobs. And then if you really start treating that calendar with reverence and respect, then sooner or later it'll start filling up with interviews with uh, the people you want to be talking to. Mihawk, you're on stage. Is your mic on live? Yes. Great. We can hear you. Okay. Hi. Mahak. Gupta here. Uh, so I had a question um, going back to one of the points that you had made earlier um, on how one of the most important factors in finding a job you'll love is who you'll be working for. I'm wondering if you can offer any tips on how, as job applicants, we can better parse out, you know, whether this will be a good working relationship during the interview stage. During yeah the pre-start. It's great. Thank you for asking that. I, I think it's so important. You know, I had this opportunity earlier in my career. I was stuck out of work. I was going on interviews. And then all of a sudden, one day, an opportunity comes my way and the dollar signs made me dizzy. There was a great opportunity. And I was seduced by the money that was being offered to me so much so that I forgot to do something that ended up burning me really badly. It didn't, it didn't happen right away, but about two years later, 
found out that I was working for somebody who was literally willing to take horrific advantage of the people that I had brought into that company. Here's how I want to solve that for everybody moving forward. When you've got an opportunity to interview at a company where you really want to be, I think that's the moment you start linking in to other people who are already working at that company, sending them invites, and if they accept, then send them a little note. And the note says, I have an interview coming up with your company for XYZ job, whatever the job title is, and I'm trying to do as much homework as possible to prepare for the interview, is there any way I can send you a few questions about your experience working there? Or can you give me 15 minutes on the phone? And I just think that every time we're lucky enough to win a job interview, instead of just racing into the interview and doing what I used to do, which is like me, like me, like me, like me, I think that it's time to become more of a private investigator and just start asking questions about the management of that firm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Now, I think if I'm reading your mind, I'm hearing you say, well, nobody's going to tell you anything bad. I don't know if I'm reading your mind or not. But, you know, if you if you also look for some former employees of that company in your search, you might peel the onion a little bit. I'm curious what you think of that answer. Yeah, I think that's pretty helpful. And I will say I have had that experience where I've reached out to folks that I know work there, friend of a friend, already in my network, or, you know, were previously working there and left um, and asked them, you know, if they could offer any insight. And yes, they weren't really too forthright um, right. all the time. But yeah, I, I think that's helpful. You know, one thing I'm trying to do is just develop that intuition, getting a sense of the person during the interviews, the environment during the interviews. Um, so yeah, that's helpful. I will say one other thing, which you made me realize I put a long list of specific questions in the book for this exact issue. In other words, when you're lucky enough to have either a former employee or a current employee help you prepare for the interview, I've actually given you, given you a whole long list of questions that you can ask them so that, you know, if you listen really, really carefully, you can listen not just to what's spoken in those lines, but the most important things that are spoken in between those lines. So thanks very much for taking us into that piece of the puzzle. All right. Rob, we have a question, a DM one here, which yeah. is, how do you suggest someone who's new to the country, like an immigrant, build a network that can help them land their dream job? Oh, great question. Well, look, I, I do believe that um, LinkedIn is the single most important friend in a job search. It's the winner by far. Are there other job sites? Yes. Will you increase your odds by trying to be, you know, incredibly active on 16 different job sites? I'm going to say maybe. 
but I believe that if you put maximum effort into building a large network on LinkedIn, then as we said a minute ago, and I'm not sure if you heard this, so I realized with a group this big, we'll just quickly repeat a few things. Uh, it, it's important to invite as many of the key people as you feel you need to meet in the companies and the roles that you want. But I also believe that once somebody accepts you on LinkedIn, the next best thing you can do is send a very brief and very specific request to then take it one step deeper. And that step can be as simple as, I'm trying to build my network and have a couple of questions about the company that you're working in or ask them for, I usually go my new favorite amount of time to speak with someone like old school. And look, we've all, we've all made an agreement by being in this fishbowl tonight that we're okay with talking to each other. I ask people for a 15 minute call, but I think that if you're new to the country, uh, rather than just asking in a general sense, you want to ask a specific question that you believe that person can help you solve. And that, that, then, then you're on your way to starting to not just build a resource who might be able to help you, but the last thing I'll say in answer to this question is make sure you're offering help back. Hmm. Uh, okay. Who else would you have here? Nabil? Hi. Yeah, um, I just wanted to second uh, Rob's uh, statement there. I think that LinkedIn is a very, very powerful tool. Uh, and the sooner you get to optimizing that LinkedIn page of yours, uh, the better. Uh, I was an immigrant as well, no longer than six years ago. Uh, and I've subsequently worked for several law firms since. Uh, and I can tell you that networking is, is something that's super key for everyone over here, especially if you are an immigrant uh, and if you're looking for those sponsorship related positions, etc. cetera. Uh, don't be afraid to use tools like Sales Navigator on LinkedIn. It's a paid tool, uh, but it allows you something called an in-mail message. And, and this mm -hmm. message is kind of your key because whether or not people want to hear from you, they're going to hear from you via in-mail message and they'd have to reject or accept what you have to say. So I highly recommend reaching out to CEOs and folks in your circles um, and in your niches and just getting to know them, perhaps even interviewing them uh, to find out what their pain points are at night, uh, what keeps them frustrated at work, what the consequences of not being able to meet those frustrations look like and what happens if they're able to solve that situation, right? And um, figure out a way to solve their issues. And I promise you that if you can figure out a way to solve someone's issues that they're facing in their daily lives, uh, especially in the context of their work, if you can take away from an attorney having to uh, do 30 to 40 extra hours of mundane tasks every single month or uh, being able to automate their um, systems such that if a new client signs up, they're hit with the first email and then subsequently a voicemail drop from the attorney uh, and a series of other um, steps such that the attorney doesn't really have to do work, but the client feels like they're being met with uh, attorney communication, then I, I promise you attorneys will um, be interested in what you have to offer. That's, but great in that's great insight. And, you know, you said something else, which I think is very, very important. And I just want to jump in it and highlight it for a second. Absolutely. It is terrifying to me and everyone I know when you're really stuck out of work and the bank account starts to look a little sad. It is very, very scary. 
However, there are really smart investments you could make and should make if you're seriously stuck in a job search. This is a moment, as Nabil said, where you might want to spend a little bit of money to do something that he recommended specifically, which is get the opportunity to send people messages on LinkedIn. That's one way, you know, whether, whether they've accepted you or not. It, I will counter it a little bit, Nabil, and say it's a teeny bit risky because they haven't said, oh, okay, I'm good with you yet. So, you know, I'm not 100% sure on the return on that investment. But I do have to say that if your LinkedIn, your resume, and your cover letters aren't getting you enough interviews, this is a moment to start thinking about not just hiring me, but hiring somebody like me who is a professional that can help you represent and write these things in a way that's going to get you more action. So, you know, just think about investing in yourself. I second that completely. Just to add on to Rob's uh, point there, um, having someone who can take a look at your resume, especially if it's like Rob, for example, someone who's been in that field and who's been there and done that for folks um, and who's actively got testimonials and case studies of him having done it for pe people in the past, um, being able to have someone like that or anyone really just interview you and what you have to say and then take your resume and transform it into something that speaks to other attorneys because you may not be speaking the same quote-unquote tribal language as these attorneys, uh, that can go pretty far because um, folks are able to take uh, what you have to say, your skills, your specific experiences, and then translate that into what the attorney wants from the particular job description that they've put out for that job posting and from what you have to offer. So one thing I want to mention is you're talking about investing money, but one of the great things you could do right now is investing some of your time and going to robburnettmedia.com and checking out the interviews he's done with other people because he's going to reveal a whole bunch of secrets there that you can use as ways of presenting yourself as a gift to help you find and land your, a job you'll love. Back to you, Rob. We have a question, another DM, which is what is the best way to shift careers and sell yourself into it when you don't have a direct experience in your newly desired field? In other words, oh. from advertising to architecture. And is yes. it necessary to start back at the bottom, assuming yeah. it's not a field that requires specific certifications, et cetera? Sorry, I stepped on you. It was a longer question. Ouch. <laughs> this, is, this is a great one. Thank, thank you to who's bringing it. Uh, the person is asking about a word that comes up a hell of a lot in my line of work as a headhunter working for companies, looking for the right person, and working for candidates trying to make their move. The word is pivot. People ask this all the time. Can I pivot? Now, the, the example you gave, help me one more time, Dave. I know architecture was in there because that's my second wife. What advertising, was the, to architecture? advertising to architecture was that the pivot <laughs> that was the pivot that's quite the pivot man well look i i do think that um the most important thing we're trying to say in this book is that life is too short 
if you're doing the work that feels wrong to you. This is the moment where you do want to take stock and say, thank God we survived one of the worst experiences in the history of the earth. And now, if you feel in your heart the thing that's free of logic, okay, if you feel in your heart that you are in the wrong path and that there's something speaking to you passionately that says you need to go in another direction, then the only way to really light that up, and, we're, and this question was written in a really specific way, the only way to light that up with no experience is to be able to find somebody who will give you that right foot in the right door, but Dave, you really went there. You're going to have to be willing to do this at a level that may be lower on that ladder of success than you had in your advertising life. You may have to do this initially for less money that you were making in the ad world. But I promise you, if you do the thing that we touched on a little bit earlier, if, if you find a mentor in that architecture firm, if you find somebody you can trust, if you find somebody who's willing to let you learn the things that you know you want to learn, you will move up, you will be successful, and you'll be back to the money that you wanted to be earning, but you'll be doing it in the right field. It's one of the most exciting things that anybody can do, but you do have to be willing to do it for less. Rob, I've heard you talk before about attitude versus aptitude. If you're going to go and take a, a few steps down the, the corporate ladder to yep. pivot to, and try a new thing, is it's going to be very important that the, the feeling you uh, portray during that thing is that it's, it's something you feel that like you get to do versus you have to do. It's all going to, you know, a lot of that's going to depend on the attitude that people get and the chemistry. Yes. Well, the other thing that I've seen work really, really well is that when you are in that role that you know is a little too junior for where you feel you need to be in your career, when you're in that role where you know you're earning less than you really need to be bringing home every two weeks, that's the time that you've got to obey what one of our greatest teachers ever ever gave us back in the glory days of mtv we worked for a goddess named judy mcgrath and mm. judy had so much wisdom that she taught all of us little snot-nosed wise guy kids that were trying to learn television judy used to say sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than it is to ask for permission what was really behind that judaism was go ahead and do some great work above your level while you're there at night or on the weekend when nobody's looking, and then bring that work to the person that you're reporting to and say, oh, by the way, I know that I wasn't asked to do this, and I have done all the things that I was asked to do this week, but I also created this. Will you take a look at it? <laughs> and uh, That's a great way to sort of start moving up a little bit faster than you would if you're just waiting for what we talked about earlier in this conversation, the one-year review. Don't wait for it, you know? Just go make your mark. I, I like this next question from the audience here. It says, 
Any tips for people who are landing interviews but not landing offers, in particular with the pivoting? Yeah. Well, we say in Chapter 9 in the book, I jokingly call it the perfect 30-minute interview because, of course, nothing's perfect. However, I think I put about 20 different tips in Chapter 9 of Next Job, Best Job on how to do the one thing you've got to do in the first interview and I don't believe it's get hired because that's like, that's miracle stuff. That just doesn't happen. You know, it takes multiple interviews. So your job in the first interview is to make sure that you've put enough content on the table to get the second interview. And we recommend that you even drop the breadcrumbs that will take the interviewer to that place. Here's one, okay? If you ask me to tell you about the single most successful project I accomplished in my last role, if that's the question, which is, you know, kind of a typical interview question, not the greatest hardball in the world, but definitely one, if we're going to go with dreaded baseball analogies, that you need to knock out of the park. So if you're asked for, you know, greatest hit in your last job, give the answer but give it succinctly. And then at the end of the answer, say there's actually another couple of examples that come real close to that one. And in a second interview, I'd love the chance to talk about them. Or if you're interested, I'd love to follow up and write you a few more. But, but here's one example. In other words, drop these radically obvious hints that you're, you're able to bring a lot more content that can possibly fit into that first 30-minute interview. Uh, we have one question here, which is that, would love to hear your thoughts, Rob, on starting over in a new market if you've relocated due to COVID. Well, this is one of the greatest unexpected miracles if you're looking for a job right now. If you decided to come in here tonight because you're out of work, and the job search just isn't moving as quickly as you need it to move. The unexpected miracle of one of the worst things that's ever happened in our lives is that companies are now drastically more willing to allow you to do this job remote than they ever were before. I'm seeing it come up every single day. I'm in the finals right now on another headhunting role, and there are two people in the finals. Both of them live 3,000 miles away from headquarters. But these two candidates have bested about 25 other people that were considered for this one job, and they've been interviewed by all the senior people that need to make this decision. They've done so well that the hiring manager said, you know what? They do not have to move. They can stay where they are. And look at what this does for Job Seeker right now. If, if you're living in not one of the most populated, hottest job market cities on earth, you can now start to apply for jobs in other cities because there is a possibility that if you prove yourself to be the stronger candidate, you may find that there's flexibility in the idea 
of having to relocate yourself and your family to move to do that job, you may be able to win the day by staying remote. This is just, this is happening in every single job search that I'm doing right now. Rob, one other thing that I, I love about the book uh, is you talk about your evil twin. Can you share a little bit about that? Because I think it, it's really one of those things about keeping people's, you know, optimism and, and moving people moving forward is to learning how to navigate and deal with that evil twin. Yeah, look, the evil twin is the one that really sneaks in when we're at our lowest point, when we've lost confidence, when the responses really aren't coming. And that's where you can talk yourself out of jobs with all the fear that brings some of those rejections that we've all had in the past. You've all heard these words. I call them the two words. They're T-O-O words. Sometimes you're told you're too junior, you're too senior, you're too experienced. Sometimes people just flat out come out and say, you know, you're making too much money for this role. These, these are really difficult um, things to confront because they can sap your confidence and really, really take you down. And it's important if these things are of real concern and you think that there are judgmental reasons that you're being shot down every time you're going for the things you want, then there's another little section of the book that we call Tame the Elephant. If you really think you're aware of what the elephant in the room might be, then again, these are risks, but risks work. Calculated risks work so much better then kiss-ass, kiss-ass, kiss-ass. Take a calculated risk and bring one of those elephants into the room on a job search, the specific one that, that I've confronted. But I, I think that, you know, the one I've faced a lot is you're, you're overqualified for this job. Why are you here? You know, you've had roles that are X, Y, and Z. These are more senior than this position. I, I've had finally, after so much failure, when I was stuck in that spot, I've finally been able to tame those elephants by getting in there and saying, look, yes, I've had jobs with more senior job titles, but I haven't been in companies where I felt like I had the opportunity that I've got here. And then you got to bring in the specifics about what that company is doing and why this role speaks to you. And, and the other thing you've got to do, by the way, this is something we didn't touch on, so let's get it in really quick. You need to know what the range of salary is for the jobs that you're applying for. Because if you don't know that, you could waste two interviews, maybe even a third interview, and then find out that the job is paying $50,000 less than you need. So I'm, I'm adding in another topic here, Dave, because I'd hate to do the hour without it. You've got to make sure that in that first interview, there's an understanding of the range. Glassdoor and some other sites can, can help you do some of that internet research on your own. But don't be afraid to ask people what the range of salary is here to make sure that you're in the sweet spot. And then you've taken all that mystery out of it. And you know that you're talking grown up to grown up about a job that you're ready to fill. I think that's... Uh wonderful advice. Well, you know, Rob, you, you and I talked about this before, you know, it's about landing a job you love. You have to really 
uh, exude that confidence that it's like, you know, without being too, um, you know, too overly confident, but it's, it's the idea of like going into a place and saying, you know what, I am not only a fit for this role, but I'm a fit plus because we know that the role and the, and the company is going to grow and I, I'm going to be able to expand and fit that. Yeah. Look, I, I, I found something very common in thousands of conversations. People say, I'm not comfortable marketing myself. People say, I just don't like when I have to sell myself. People say, you know, why is everybody constantly showing off on social media? I think that you need to learn how to use social media if you're on a job search in a way that is targeted, professional, and on point every single day. Nobody's there stopping you from being a thought leader in the work that you do. And we've got an entire chapter in the book on how to turn on your social voodoo and make sure that you're selling yourself, but you're selling yourself in a way that doesn't suck. You're putting information out that's credible, that's compelling, that's engaging, and you're staying focused on what we call your North Star. Whatever that key role is that you want to be filling in a company, you should be speaking as the thought leader in that sector and keep your social media steady, consistent, clear, and then you're marketing yourself, but but not by just beating your own chest. You're marketing yourself because you're consistently putting out the kind of content that the companies who want to hire you are most interested in. So thanks for coming in and doing this. And I got I can't end I can't end without giving my moderator a plug. My moderator not only has one of the best new podcasts, it's got the best name ever. Dave is hosting the most listened to podcast with some of the best conversations I've seen. And that's why I wanted him to come in here tonight. But you've also got an incredible business professional that you should find on social media and add Dave uh, to, to your network. So, so thanks for spending time with us. And I'm easy to reach, as Dave said. You can find me at robbarnettmedia.com. We've got the book there, the books on Amazon. You get the ebook, the audio book. And uh, just DM me if I can help you uh get this job search moving a lot quicker all right thank you as reggie williams svp global consumer revenue video of condonass says rob is more than a recruiter he is a strategic career coach and trusted advisor he delivers big time he is and i agree peerless good night everybody thank you for being here and we'll be leaving quietly <laughs> thanks thanks for thanks certainly that's all folks thanks again for listening to hardly working Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and, who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.